This is The Dr. Duke Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dr. Duke Show. I am Dr. Duke, and I'm joined with... Uh, joined by Father Robert McTagg, Society of Jesus. He's a wonderful priest and a great interlocutor. And so welcome, at, welcome, Father. He's also the host of The Catholic Current on the Station of the Cross. Jo- Father Robert, hello, and thanks for being here. Uh, Dr. Pastor, very glad to be with you again. Thanks be to God. Well, I, when I saw this story in the news, I immediately thought of you, and I know you've already talked about this on your own show. But what in the world is going on? We talked we, what, at one time. We, you and I talked a little bit about Catholic schools and how they were being mm-hmm. uh, secularized by the LGBTQ and all sorts of other things. And now we find out that Catholic hospitals and ho- systems in this t- uh, headline right here: hospitals in the nation's largest Catholic healthcare system are performing transgender surgeries on children. Take a look at, let's just look at the other side, the next two. Another story in the news, right? The second slide we have. A Catholic health network hospital receives millions of dollars for, to buy a sex change surgery robot. And finally, a Catholic health network covers sex change operations for all of their employees. What's going on, Father? Well, you know, back in March, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops issued a doctrinal note that said uh, transgender ideology is inconsistent with Catholic faith and Catholic practice, which really, of course, is, is common sense because transgender ideology ultimately calls for not only the mutilation of bodies, uh, which is always intrinsically evil and it's contrary to common sense, but to recommend that even for, for children as well. And the USCCB say, hey, Catholic institutions can't be a part of this. Now, my sources behind the scenes said that there were s- some murmuring, shall we say, among Catholic institutions, and that uh, got me suspicious. So I contacted Michael Hitchborn of the Lepanto Institute, a really serious, honest, uh, investigative journalist, and I gave him some leads and he started looking under rocks and over the course of the weeks and months he'd give me updates and says father it's worse than I thought it's worse than I thought it's worse than I thought but apparently there are large swaths of Catholic hospitals and networks that are not only performing these surgeries not only performing counseling that leads to the surgeries doing that to minors and even offering it as insurance benefits to their their employees and, and, and to their children I know this has been under discussion at the recent meeting of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in Orlando last week, and I think there's going to be a a major statement coming out very likely in the fall as well. As as a Catholic priest and as someone who's worked in medical ethics for many years, I'm horrified by this. With the National Ethics Committee of the Catholic Medical Association, we're watching this story very closely. And first of all, I did not realize that. I want to thank you so much for getting in uh, touch with the Lepanto organization because, uh, you know, without that prodding, because they were the one, the very, I think they were the very first ones to bring this to knowledge. And so thank you so much for being a catalyst with that. Let me ask you this. You are on the inside. You have spent your life as a a, a Roman Catholic priest, a member of the, the Jesuit society. From from somebody who was raised Catholic, 20 years of Catholic education, I don't have your insider understanding. So mm-hmm. to people on the outside, people who don't live the church other than going to Mass and confession, why does it seem like the Catholic Church is impotent when it comes to holding Nancy Pelosi accountable for promoting abortion, or in this case, allowing 
openly Catholic institutions to do this? Why does it seem like the wheels grind so slowly? Well, Doctor, I, I want to make a distinction between being impotent and being reluctant. Yeah. Uh, it is the responsibility of the local bishop to authenticate the Catholic identity of Catholic institutions w within his area of jurisdiction. He's well within his rights to say this or that institution may not use the moniker Catholic anymore because of these reasons. It is well within the rights of a bishop to say, hey, what you're doing is so gravely, objectively, and publicly wrong that you're receiving Holy Communion not only endangers your soul, you need to have a, um, a public renunciation of your sin because you're causing scandal. Now, Archbishop Corleone did that with uh, with Nancy Pelosi, and you know, props to him for for doing that. I don't know why uh, church authorities are are reluctant to do the kinds of things that Archbishop Corleone did. I will say this much. It just might have something to do with the fact that a lot of Catholic institutions are dependent upon government funding. I don't know that for certain. Maybe bishops would want to uh, argue with me about that. Some talk about taking the pastoral approach. The pastoral approach is to tell people the truth and then offer the natural and supernatural means to live that truth, even when the moral truth is costly. So it, it's something that I've always learned that in their diocese, bishops have a lot of control of that. That's sort of the the the, sure. the, the way this is spread about. Uh, but certainly, the Va am I mistaken if I do remember correctly? Didn't the Vatican um, did they comment on the the situation with Nancy Pelosi? I know there was some pushback against the Archbishop in San Francisco for doing that, and certainly the liberal media attacked him. But is it true that in situations like that? Uh, the hierarchy of the church will stay out of that from district to district? Because it seems to me there have been other instances where the shoe was on the other foot. So, for instance, where we had uh, too, too conservative of a priest. And, boy, the punishment seems to come fast for that. Or that just may be a subjective ob observation. Uh, well, I, su suffice to say, it seems that canon law is not applied evenly, and sometimes the church acts very quickly, and sometimes it seems to act glacially. Uh, and you know, and there are people who spend a lot of time keeping score uh, w with that. Uh, I, I mean, I going back to the o Obama administration, the director of health and human services, I think it was Catherine Sebelius was her name, I don't recall, and she was a governor of a Midwestern state and went to Washington D.C. And to her credit, to the credit of, of the local bishop, he said, "Hey, her." support of abortion is so egregious and so public, she shouldn't be receiving uh, Holy Communion from anyone. She's certainly not going to receive it w within the diocese that was in the bishop's purview. Uh, other bishops aren't willing to to take that step. And, you know, I, Duke, I, I don't travel in those circles. I don't know why. I don't know what people weigh when they think those things. I do know that, that the law is clear. If you're playing the game at home, you want to go to the canon, Code of Canon Law and look at Canon 915, Canon 915, 
what do you do with uh, notorious public unrepentant sinners who are presenting themselves to receive Holy Communion. Cardinal Burke just published a book addressing that very fact, uh, and he's slated to appear on The Catholic Current, and, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, this is not only harming the souls of individual politicians, for example, it's, uh, it's causing scandal among the faithful. We had another situation here in Madison. I don't know if you're aware of this in Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin, Dane County, became the first county in the entire country to declare themselves a transgender sanctuary county. And what's really interesting about that is a number of people I know very close to me reached out directly to the bishop of Madison, Wisconsin, to get a comment, to say something. Absolute silence, not a word from the bishop or any really of the prelates, prelates in, uh, in Madison. I know they, he, they would have to follow his lead, but that the silence, a lot of these people were devout Catholics. They're very, very disappointed. Not even a, we're working on it. Nothing from the bishop. Well, again, I, I'll, I'll say that, I mean, I've never been a bishop. I'll never be a bishop. Thanks be to God. That's a terrible cross. I wouldn't wish that uh, on anyone. Uh, I, I will say this much. If I were in that bishop's employ, if I were his in-resident theologian, I'd say, Your Excellency, this there is a great need for the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Let me help you with a statement to show that this is bad medicine, it's bad law, it's contrary to reason and the common good, and it's contrary to the revelation that, uh, that, that Christ uh, entrusted to his church. We can do this step by step, and we can do it in a way that's clear, charitable, and unambiguous, and then let the thoughts of many be revealed. So if I were his theologian in residence, that's the recommendation that I would make to him. So what can we expect? Let's say for the sake of argument, and I think you gave some evidence for this, that the U.S. Catholic bishops um, are not, uh, to some degree are not happy with this. It's got bad publicity right. of written all over it. So if, they, if there was a majority of those bishops who were moved against this or recognized this for the uh, abomination that it likely is, what, what could we hope from them at the best level that they could do to try to fight back against this? Well, what I'm hearing now is that the, the bishops, uh, majority of the bishops are in agreement that what needs to be updated is what they call the ERDs, the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Hospitals uh, and Catholic Health Care Providers. That hasn't been updated uh, in a while. Uh, you know, medical ethics is something where you, you, you almost need an app to keep up to date with all the changes that, that are taking place. My prediction is that there will be a draft document presented at the fall meeting of, of the bishops uh, in, in Baltimore, and I, I think that it will pass. Now, when that was proposed uh, last week in Orlando, uh, Cardinal Tobin and I think Archbishop Etienne of Seattle wanted to make say, well, we have to consult widely among Catholic health care experts. That's good. I, I can give you names of Catholic health care experts you'd want to consult with. He said, and we have to consult widely among the transgender community. Mm. The way that I read that is, let's get emotional stories from people who claim to have benefited from gender-affirming surgery. I'd say, let's also consult widely among the people who regret it as well. And you know what, doctor, I'm going to be honest with you. There is no sad story that can justify the conclusion, and therefore this minor should have his genitals 
you know, irrevocably mutilated. No story, no lived experience, no appeal to emotions makes mutilation okay. Now, that's well said, Father. Um, I, you know, as you know, my milieu is really education. It's not medical ethics. However, mm -hmm. I understand that when people ask me all the time, how did the Catholic Church, not all of them, the diocese schools, how did so many of the, dias, the diocesan schools, Catholic schools, become overrun with this kind of ideology, the critical race theory, the, the radical LGTB stuff? And in my experience, being an educator, what happened was is that there weren't enough priests and nuns to actually staff those schools anymore. So what did the bishops do? Uh, the, or the local school board did. They hired secular teachers to drive the programming. And to the surprise of nobody, those secular directors of the schools turned them into very secular places. That seems to be my understanding of that. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm asking you a, a two-fold question is correct me if you need mm -hmm. to. Number two, how's this happening at Catholic hospitals. I, my gut tells me we know the American Medical Association is 100% behind this stuff. Is, is this doctors doing this? What, what, what do you think? Right. Well, the, the, the second question is a lot easier to answer. These Catholic hospitals that Michael Hitchborn discovered through the, his work with the Lepanto Institute, they flat out lied. They flat out lied to bishops and to uh, departments in the Vatican. They just wow. flat out lied and Michael Hitchborn caught them red-handed with selfies, a smoking gun, and the receipts. It's absolutely indisputable that they flat out lied. Now regarding the schools, here's what I recommend. Uh, you and your listeners uh, go look up something called the Land Lakes Conference in Wisconsin, 1967, led by Theodore Hesburgh, not a Jesuit, I hasten to add, then president of uh, Notre Dame University. And it was about extracting uh, American Catholic institutions away from the leadership of bishops, religious communities, and ultimately the Vatican. Interestingly, his number two man was the uh, president of the Catholic University of Puerto Rico, Monsignor, you may remember this name, Ted McCarrick. Oh it's a very brief document. It's not even 10 pages, but it's all this excuse and hand-waving that to be a real university, we can't be accountable to church authorities anymore. And uh, and the, to do that, you know, what they wanted to do was to get hold of institutional funding from the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the federal government as well. And, and Theodore Hesburgh had been wined and dined by, by those institutions going back into the 50s. And that was the great break in the dam. That was the paradigm shift. And we've been living with the fallout ever since. Wow. And so that was going to be my next question. When you look at a university, not uh, Notre Dame certainly has problems, but you look at a university like Georgetown, which just seems to be categorically anti-Catholic, if not anti-Christian, and what we hear from the faculty, what kind of initiatives are there, the way the schools run. It seems the one thing that you shouldn't be at Georgetown is a Christian or a Catholic. Uh, and so uh, when you consider what's happening now with the medical the colleges and the, uh, the, the hospitals and all the things that we showed you, the slides, things that you've been already talking and you helped inspire the re revelations behind this, we don't see a lot of change in the Catholic colleges. We don't see a lot of, um, uh, there, like you said, a great reluctance to intervene. Just down the road from me is Marquette University. And my goodness, the, the, I believe that's a Jesuit college, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. It well, is. You know, here, here's here's a million dollars. What does it mean to be a Jesuit institution? Now there was, was a time ask. prior to 1967 where a religious community like the, like the Jesuits at say at Marquette or the Holy Cross Fathers at Notre Dame. I mean, they owned it lock, stock, and barrel. And in 1967, they said, "No, we've we've got to give away the store." And that's to get credibility. It was really to get institutional and, and federal funding. Uh, now, a lot of religious communities, the, their bench isn't very deep anymore. Uh, more and more institutions are having lay people uh, as presidents, which can be a good or bad thing, depending upon uh, the, the individual. But I think so many institutions have gone so far down the road of pining for secular approval. You know, the, the last... Jesuit was president at Georgetown uh, University was uh, Leo Donovan, who wrote a very long essay about Georgetown University as a place of, and here I quote, centered pluralism. I read that document front to back a number of times. I, I, I couldn't figure it out. So what I hear from a lot of people who are working there is that Catholic institutions trade on the Catholic brand name, but then behind the scenes pull back from what the Catholic faith and morals uh, require. So if, if you're going to any institution of higher education, you know, let the buyer beware. Do your homework first. And so um, is it, I think a lot of people too question the, what from viewed from the outside, uh, the Roman Catholic Church looks like it's a top-down organization. I, I know and you know that it's not really that in many ways. However, um, what takes place in Italy at the Vatican, is it fair to say or unfair to say that, I mean, a, a pope, a, a, the, the, the College of Cardinals, do they have any real authority to what goes on in Madison, Wisconsin, or San Francisco, uh, or at Marquette University? How far removed is the upper echelon of the church from the day-to-day -day realities that we Catholics all over the world face? Well, you know, I... I don't travel in, in those circles. Uh, I'm, I'm not a mover and, and a shaker, but I mean, I know the structure of the church. I, I know canon law. Uh, Rome can bring pressure to bear, or Rome can choose to turn a blind eye. For example, several years ago, when Cardinal Worrell was still the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., William Peter Blatty, who wrote the novel and the screenplay for The Exorcist, uh, an alumnus of Georgetown, put together, I think, a 250-page canonical lawsuit asking Cardinal Worrell to remove the Catholic status of, uh, of Georgetown University. I never read the report. I don't know what's in it. I don't know what the merits are. Cardinal Worrell said, gosh, this is too complicated for me to understand. I'm going to send it to Rome. And then <laughs> nothing. Kind of like Nothing. the yeah, kind of kind of like the uh, uh, Henry the Eighth's request for a divorce. We're going to sit on this for about ten years, right? What uh, or you know or the the dubia that Cardinal Burke and his colleagues sent to Rome how many years ago now, with with no response. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean Rome can apply pressure when it wants to, and it doesn't when it doesn't want to. So turning back to the initial stories that we're covering here, what would you like to see happen? I mean, in the ideal world, you gave us some idea if you were advising some of these people. What would you like to see come of this, given where we are in the situation with these hospitals and, and healthcare networks? 
Well, you know, we, we need to have a come to Jesus moment. Uh, these hospital networks flat out lied to bishops and to the Vatican. They need to be held account. We need a very clear-throated, unambiguous teaching that transgender ideology is not good for individuals, it's not good for the culture, uh, it's bad medicine, it's extremely harmful to children. Are there people who are really suffering? Are they confused? Are they in pain? May they be mentally ill? Yeah, there are a lot of people who meet that description. But let's put it this way, doctor. If a 16-year-old girl who was anorexic and visibly starving to death demanded that you say that she was obese, would you go along with that? Would you call that Christian? Would you call that compassionate? Would you call that good medicine? Of course not. Someone with XX chromosomes is irreversible uh, is irreversibly female someone with xy chromosomes is irreversibly male and i think it's it's madness and cruelty and i think that there are a lot of bureaucrats who salivate at the prospect of exercising more state power this all needs to stop you know one of the things that i'm always endlessly puzzled by and i think we've even touched on this briefly earlier but i'd like you to repeat your answer is when mm-hmm. did we, you mentioned those, a couple of bishops who were very keen before we do anything, we've got to talk to the LGTB community. When did we as a church or as Christians broadly, don't, don't make this specific to the Catholic church, mm-hmm. when did Christians become much more interested in being sympathetic to sin and those who sin than trying to fix sin? When, when do you trace that back to? Well, in this particular area, I go back to the 1930s, the Church of England, you know, every 10 years they have a conference at Lambeth. And in the 1930s, they said that contraception was okay for married couples only. That was the first time ever that any Christian body formally accepted contraception. I mean, even the Protestant reformers rejected contraception as a great evil. Again, that was another crack in the line. And now contraception and and the movement against it is is seen as some weird exceptionalist Catholic quirk that eventually we're going to move away from. So in the the modern era, it it goes back about about 100 years. In this particular area. I I thank you for that. I want to ask you one more sort of philosophical question. One thing I like about having you on the show is we talk about philosophy. Politics are secondary. Mm. Uh, But the question I wanted to ask you is, theoretically, if the Catholic Church got its act together collectively, could the Catholic Church lead us out of these problems? Or is the Church of today more a... um, a possible answer, but not necessarily the answer. Spiritually, I know the answer to this. When I'm asking you, is there the will, the discipline, is there the uh, intellectual honesty in today's Catholic Church to fix this if they tried? There there is a, a faithful remnant of lay people, clerics, religious, and hierarchy who have all the resources of Catholic heritage and the promises of grace to effect the change that is needed. Whether or not the people who have their hands on the level of power are going to do that, I, I leave that to divine providence. But certainly the Catholic Church has all the resources necessary to fix it. Father McTagg, tell our audience where they can find more of what you say and what you've written. 
Well, thank you very much. Uh, I host every day The Catholic Current at the thestationofthecross.com and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, available on every podcast platform. And you can find all of my other work and writings at my website, heraldofthegospel.org. Thank you so much, Father. And that's going to wrap up this show. If you have any questions, comments, or want to support the show, simply visit drdukeshow.com. For all of us here and for Father Robert, thank you so much. And we will look forward to seeing you next Catch time. Peace.